everyone. Welcome back to the Colorful Plates podcast, your weekly source for what's happening in the produce and food service world. Today's industry interview features Mike McLeod, president and CEO of World Food Championships. Mike has been involved with the industry for years, and when he developed a love of food sport, he decided to make a career out of it, creating a competition for chefs from across the country. I spoke with Mike about his passion for culinary, how the competition works, benefits to the competing chefs, and food trends he sees on the rise and how they account for that in the competition. It is definitely evident from speaking with him that he not only has a love for eating, but don't we all, I know I definitely do, but a drive to work hard and create a space to highlight chefs' many talents on a big stage. So let's get to it. Mike, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us how you got into the culinary industry? Sure. I'm Mike McLeod. I'm the president of World Food Championships. It's the leader in food sport, uh, which is a, a niche um, culinary offering that we've been leading the charge on for about nine years now. Mm-hmm. And it all started for me about 15, 16 years ago when I learned um, a, a deep appreciation and got involved in barbecue competitions. I used to okay. to be the marketing director for um, uh, this society called Kansas City Barbecue Society and really fell in love with um, competition barbecue and then fell in love with competition food and felt like there was a an opportunity to create a Super Bowl of food. And that's mm-hmm. what we set out to do in 2010. And we launched it in 2012 uh, and called it the World Food Championships. And uh, the rest is history. We've we've not looked back. We just keep building and building and building and mm-hmm. eating and eating and eating and uh, running many many miles on a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, because you got to work off all that barbecue and all those other good dishes that they make at uh, the championships, right? <laughs> I never realized how much deliciousness there is in calories. Oh man. Um, so and and bar- great barbecue uh, is one of those categories that they can load up calories in a heartbeat. So oh, yeah, uh, you've got to be uh, you, you got to moderate your intake, and then you've got to uh, find a way to to work it off. So that has been <laughs> about a fifteen year quest of mine, and um, year by year it gets harder and harder. Did you ever? Um... Did you ever compete in any of these? You've never been a chef yourself. You called yourself when I reached out the chief evangelist of food sport, but you've never you've never competed in any of these competitions. Yeah, I may um, I may be a little smarter than I look. Uh, I, I decided <laughs> never to be a competitor once I realized how great these uh, culinary uh, cooks and champs are, and <laughs> and I've never had a proclivity to cook, but. But my, um, I, I love eating, and I love uh, marketing those individuals who are good at mm-hmm. cooking. So, so my love and my involvement in food sport comes from just the the marketing, entrepreneurial, and competitive side of things. And um, I, I've learned a lot about cooking over the years. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, um, I, I guess, I'm a little shy to. to to take it on, you know that show, the world's worst cooks. Yes, uh, I, I, so or something like that. I keep expecting to get a phone call from them um, <laughs> because I'm sure all of the people in in my industry who know me 
uh, want to nominate me for that, and and I'm gonna oh no I'm gonna run for the border when that happens. <laughs> so you can at least fry an egg, though, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna promise how it comes out, though. Uh, oh my! Woo. Listen, scra scrambled egg sandwiches or fried bologna would be my specialty. Um, okay. So I know I probably just probably just ran off every foodie from this podcast, <laughs> but uh, nah. um, it's it, I, I would be a like a world microwave champion if given a chance. Uh, so you know what? Don't it's yeah, don't it's hard to get your hard food at. warm. <laughs> it's hard to get your food warm and it not sound like World War Three in the microwave, and then it comes out and it's cold in the middle. You yeah, know, so. yeah, that's that's not good. <laughs> well. So, I mean, but your passion is people, right? Like you like seeing people succeed and you're really good at eating. I mean, I I love to eat too. And you're, so you're into the people side. You love propping people up. Now tell me, what is food sport exactly? Is it, it's like chopped, like iron, iron chef. Yeah, but just bigger, you know, we're, we're like, um, mm -hmm. uh, we're like the iron chef. We're like, uh, probably the best way to say it is we're more like a, an American idol of food. We're, we developed this <laughs> this platform that gives everyone a chance that if you're good, mm -hmm. even even if you're a home cook, a pro chef, a classically trained chef, we we really don't discriminate against you uh, based on your culinary background. We we've created this mm -hmm. field of dreams where uh, it, you enter a category of your choice or your specialty, whether it's barbecue, dessert, or burger, or sandwich, or whatever. And if you can perform under um, the constraints of a clock, the fact that you're competing against mm -hmm. other people, the fact that you're competing against yourself and making sure that you execute, execute a dish perfectly, and then turn that over to judges who don't know who you are and are judging it blindly and fairly, then mm -hmm. that's what food sport's about. It, it's giving uh, great cooks a chance to prove that they are great at what they claim to be great at. And then our right. curveballs aren't really gimmicky. Our curveballs are uh, you have to infuse this ingredient or you have to use this partic particular structured build. You do have to make about three mm -hmm. dishes uh, to become a champion in, in our main event. Okay. And then you, get, then you get a chance to go to what we call our final table which is kind of like what um, March Madness is, or or the or World Series of Poker. We've used a a lot of sporting uh, platforms as models and wrapped it into mm -hmm. a, a food tournament that has a, a big main event and then a, a smaller final table event where one hundred thousand dollars is up for grabs. So that's oh that's, wow yeah that's food sport in our world. One of the things that um, has become an interesting development for us over the years is every year we have to cre create new rules because we watch how people compete and we watch how people can either bend a rule or find some gray area in one of our rules. So we issue rules every, every January. And on top of that, uh, we implement cheferees at our event who are walking <laughs> around with a whistle, with a striped shirt, and making sure... <laughs> that everyone is following the rules. And if they're not, they're given a chance to have a timeout like you would have in hockey or to have a point deduction like you would in gymnastics. So we, huh. we really have brought a lot of 
sporting elements to this game uh, that we call food sport. Uh, but it is ultimately all about great chefs, great cooks, creating great dishes. So tell me, what is an example of a rule that's commonly broken? Oh, that's a good one. Um, we have a rule that says you cannot elevate your dish more than three inches off the turn-in platter. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the reason for that is um, stability and security. So if, if you're in, when you're in our opening round of tournament, you have to create um, a sample, a presentation dish, and then five sample dishes. Mm -hmm. and, and numerous years ago, uh, in our second or third championship, you'd have thought that our, our food tournament was a crafts uh, tournament, an arts and crafts competition, <laughs> because the, the dishes that were created and present, presenting the food were just astronomical and gastro gastronomy creations out of, out of the twilight zone. And um, some of those things were really cool, but some of those things were very um, uh, unstable. And so as we would move dishes from the turn-in ta <laughs> table to the judge's table, there was always this, I know where this, is going. this <laughs> chance of spilling it, right? This, this, this chance that yeah. we, it would topple or that we would drop it. And my God, if we did that, it just ruined everybody's day because the competitors uh, complaining and screaming and scared and, and our, our table captains are complaining and screaming and scared and, and the judges oh, are no. crying because they don't get to try the food. So um, we, we knew pretty quickly that we were going to have to put rules in play that would bring some kind of stability, some kind of standardization, some kind of sensical approach sensible. I don't think sensical is a, a word, but <laughs> it a, can be if you want it to be. <laughs> it is. It is today. So a, a sensical approach to turn ins. And uh, that's one of the rules that we constantly get questioned about um, as far as clarification, because someone might be mm -hmm. three and a half inches off the turn in uh, platter and that's just not allowed. And um, we, our chefferies walk around with a tape measure and and they will let people know before they turn in that uh, you need to pick a, an alternative solution if, if you're beyond that rule. Well, so this is probably, I noticed that you have different categories like burgers and sandwiches. This is probably came about because someone made a giant burger or something and it toppled one time, right? The, the actual like dish, that. well, thankfully, nothing has ever toppled except for dishes that were thrown at us. Oh. That actually happened <laughs> once because this other thing that we have is a clock, uh, a deadline. And mm -hmm. at, at one of our tournaments, someone was about two seconds or one second away from the turn-in table, and they basically just oh. heaved their their platter for the turn-in <laughs> table and sort of you know, just <laughs> calmly setting it down and realizing that they were one second late. Uh, so that was fun. Uh. But um, the, the actual rule came from a, a moment where someone used uh, six martini glasses uh, <laughs> to hold their seafood dish, which was like a, a shrimp, uh, shrimp cocktail dish. And the stems on those martini glasses were about six inches tall. 
and that was beautiful but my gosh it was dangerous and very delicate to work with uh, for my team so that's when the role really came into existence for the for the following (laughs) season i'm surprised because i've seen those burgers that are like 10 patties, 20 patties high. Well, that's an execution element. You know, know, we use the the judging process we use is called the EAT methodology, and it stands for execution, appearance, and taste. So the appearance Mm -hmm. of a six-inch burger and the taste of a six-inch tall burger can be phenomenal and score, Mm -hmm. score a 10 out of 10. But the execution of that burger can get really ugly if yeah. if you're trying if you can't get it in your mouth, a that's a problem. Um, B if it starts falling apart, or you end up wearing more of the burger than you do tasting <laughs> the burger, that's a problem. So uh, that's usually where our judges will penalize um, our contestants on the execution of that burger. You have to here again our favorite word of the day, right? Be sensical in what you're doing. Be sensical. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I, I'm gonna. I want to write that one down. Uh, that's. I'm gonna send <laughs> that one off to Webster's and see if we can get uh, get that one binded. But, but yeah, you have to. You have to use common <laughs> sense uh, in, in creating these dishes. If I mean, it, it may be great for Instagram, but that doesn't mean it's great for a competition. So tell me, you have the category set up, and then you also said you have the final table round. So do chefs enter into one of those? categories they compete there and then if they win that category they go to the final table i'm just trying to figure out like from start to finish how this um this championship weekend flows for chefs yeah so the first step is they have to qualify into our tournament they have to win Mm -hmm. a competition somewhere whether it's an online recipe contest or a a local town square burger challenge Uh, there are about two thousand events um, in America that we that we monitor and and um, gauge and and occasionally wow. provide golden tickets to so out of um, out of those 2,000 events uh, we'll have up to 500 teams who come to our uh, main event in uh, November they will enter into a category based on how they qualified so if they want a burger battle somewhere they go into our burger category and then they have right. to win that category against 39 other uh, competing chefs. Uh, If they do that, they win $10,000 for that performance, and then they earn Mm -hmm. a seat uh, at the final table, which we hold later. And this year it's going to be in May in Indianapolis, right before the Grand Prix. Um, And that's where they have a chance that's where they have a chance to win an amazing $100,000 grand prize on top of the $10,000 that they've already won. So that's how the whole tournament works. Great. And so how many people are going to be at Indianapolis competing in May? We'll have uh, 10 official teams uh, because mm-hmm. we have 10, 10 categories. So we'll have a champion from mm-hmm. each category on their teams. Okay. Uh, they can have uh, two, three, four members, but at any given time, they can only have two people uh, cooking with them. Uh, so then we have a tap in, tap out rule. Notice we brought mm-hmm. in a, another wrestling uh, 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 angle there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm bound and determined to get every sport represented in food sport in some form or fashion. Well, that could that could also be like a libero in volleyball. I was a libero. I wore the different colored jersey, and you yeah. play, you're just a defensive player. You get tapped in and out. It's like yeah, a setup, you know? exactly right. So, 
So now I'm thinking you're covering about, multiple. But now I'm thinking about how how do we spike the food? Okay, so that's mm. that's going to be an interesting mm -hmm. challenge. I, I already have an idea. But so yeah, that, <laughs> there'll be uh, ten teams. Uh, we'll have uh, our staff will be about 15, 20 people. Um, the family and friends uh, and ticketed audience will be about two hundred people. So uh, it'll be about a three hundred uh, or so uh, person operation. Uh, when it's all said and done uh, at the final table, but uh, you know that kind of pales in comparison. I, it, it's a really nice, fun, unique moment because we film all this for uh, a special that goes on CNBC. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but it's um, uh, it's not as big as what happens at the main event where we have five hundred teams competing to try to make it to that moment. So it's right. it's a little different, but it's um, equally compelling. So these competitions are timed, you said, and are there different time limits for different categories or do they all have a same blanket, like two hours, hour, whatever? So um, that that's an interesting question because there are some differences in uh, particular categories like chili or barbecue that, where, mm -hmm. where typically it takes a lot longer to make that type of food, right? Right. So, That's what I was thinking. So what we do is um, we standardize it at the top 10 level. Um, in the opening rounds, all of our kitchen arena categories, which there are seven uh, kitchen arena categories, they are bound by um, a, a cook time that is two hours long, I believe it is. And that's plenty of time to do what we ask them to do. Uh, but barbecue mm -hmm. and chili and steak can actually start earlier because they don't cook in kitchen arena. But when we get down to the top 10 of each category, we do bring them into kitchen arena and that's where they have to standardize their approach again. And we'll choose a different protein uh, for something like barbecue uh, that is able to be barbecued or, or grilled or flavored in some form or fashion uh, with barbecue uh, sauce. Uh, within an hour and a half cook time. So um, okay. the answer to your question is yes and no. Uh, it's primarily yes uh, with a few <laughs> no caveats. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, barbecue takes longer than an hour, typically. Yeah, especially <laughs> if, it's good. if you're going to do it right. You can't. You don't want to be microwaving that thing out like uh, like our way home. <laughs> so, uh, but but switching over to the final table. When we get to the final table, it's not about the categories anymore. It's about the location that we're in. So last year we did our final table in New Orleans, and every oh. every every dish that had to be turned in was a Cajun or Creole themed dish. So mm -hmm. um, all of those dishes could be cooked in the parameters that we set forth based on time um, and, and based on plating and judging. So everyone had the same amount of time. They had the same equipment. They had the same challenge. Mm -hmm. um, they just had an opportunity to dress it up a little bit differently based on their own uh, background or their own ideas and then have to sell that to the judges and, uh, and the title of their dish and the execution of the dish. So, Mike, tell me why would a chef want to be in the World Food Championships? How does this help them i mean are there benefits to competing i mean it can gain notoriety or they can you know hone in on technical skills but 
elaborate on that a little bit for me? Uh, great question. I think there are, are very tangible benefits and then there are intangible benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, one of the intangibles is the, the spirit of the community. When, when you go to an event like this and you meet uh, up to 1,500 chefs that are on 500 teams uh, who speak your language, who know your challenges day to day, you, you all of a sudden find another family that you belong to. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the, the beautiful things that has come out of the championship that we, we never really uh, forecasted or expected. Um, the, the tangible things that are there is that obviously you have a chance to um, put your name on the culinary radar. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a lot of uh, television agents, a lot of um, brand, branding ambassador um, uh, divisions from companies, all in attendance trying to figure out who's going to be the next hot celebrity chef. And we usually <laughs> see, see them in the World Food Championships before you see them on TV. Uh, we've had 30 or 40 of our champions go on to success uh, in TV programs. It might be a one-show wonder where they, they beat Bobby Flay, uh, or it might right. turn out to be a series uh, like The Next Food Network star or it may end up being a, a cameo appearance as a chef on a particular show. Uh, but that, that stuff is absolutely happening. The second tangible thing is that they can win money. They can win a lot of money. Um, <laughs> the, the third thing is uh, they can be introduced to new companies and new products that they've never used before and strike up a relationship that is kind of a two-way street where they can take that back to their restaurant and, and show off a, a particular new trend or a new product or a, a mm-hmm. new dish that, that they hadn't thought of. Uh, and then secondly, possibly represent a particular brand uh, in their region, in their city, because a brand is trying to grow into that area. So there's, there's lots of true um, business reasons and pedigree reasons. Uh, and obviously, it doesn't hurt a chef's resume at all to be called a champion chef because they mm-hmm. uh, they were in the top ten of a category in the world, uh, or um, if if somehow some way they won, that that is even a, a better star on their resume. So, uh, lots of lots of benefits, some tangible, some intangible. Uh, and the other thing is, gosh, you get to eat you eat a lot of great food, and <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, just enjoy the company of, of people who are who are like you. Yeah, and at the end of the day, at least they're flexing those technical muscles. And, I mean, all practice is good practice in the kitchen, right? So I, I will tell you, I, I, and that is a good point, because you it's one thing to do it in a kitchen that you're familiar with, where mm-hmm. you have a chance uh, to do it over. If you don't like the way a dish came together, you can always send it back. Um, right. or just try it again right before the customer sees it. But in, mm-hmm. in the world of food sport where there's a clock ticking, you rarely get a do-over. And right. you'd, be, you'd be amazed at how many star chefs or uh, bona fide uh, James Beard type chefs, how they break a sweat in our <laughs> arena. Because you talk about pressure, it, when you've got 39 other 
champion chefs going toe-to-toe with you, and you know that the clock is ticking down, and one of your ingredients has, has surprised you for some reason, and you don't have all of the equipment that you normally have in your home kitchen or your, mm. your res- restaurant kitchen, all of a sudden, you it, gotta gets, get creative. <laughs> it gets really, really stressful. And we've seen some chefs crack under that pressure. And, um, oh, I'm sure. Um, it, 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 but it makes them better. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. learn from it. Like you said, uh, they, they, they go back to their origin and they are better chefs as a result. So you mentioned trends um, just a minute ago, and I kind of want to shift gears um, and ask you, how have you seen the industry and food trends change over the past, you know, almost 10 years of you doing this? Because, you know, 10 years ago, it was 2010, and that's quite a bit of time in, in the culinary world, I feel like. Yeah, so we've We've seen a lot of things come and go. Uh, we actually have a recipe category, which is our beta category. We we use that category as a way to infuse new trends. Um, the the latest like one that. that we we saw this past year was CBD. Uh, we actually allowed uh, CBD to be infused uh, in in our recipe category. But some of the other trends that we're keeping an eye on right now is um, includes uh, ancient grains. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, plant-based uh, uh, food, uh, not yeah, non-GMO uh, stuff. So, you know, we're we're seeing those things uh, happen, and we're trying to integrate uh, those into our championship. We we announce in, um, I think it's March of every year, maybe April. We announce what our categorical focuses are going to be. Uh, and, and it's, I've got a, a council of ambassadors. I've got seven great, um, ambassadors across the country who, who constantly are, are monitoring and watching trends and, and they make recommendations to us at the home office, uh, as to what would be a cool infusion or what would be a great structured build in a particular category. And we announce those things so that our competitors can start thinking about how they're going to approach that and mm-hmm. how, how to practice it and experiment with it and get the best dish that they can uh, pull together at the championship. Yeah, it's good to have a little uh, insight to what you're going to be working with. Um, I think that's really great. Did you guys see kale blow up a couple years ago and then cauliflower? Too? We did. Those have, we did. Those have uh, been big. <laughs> yeah, it, we, we saw that... Um, uh, happen as it was occurring and and jumped on that bandwagon for a little bit uh and that's when we in fact that's when we realized that uh, every year we're going to have to have a category that allows us to to integrate that kind of movement so mm-hmm. uh, our recipe category became that uh, that specific category just to wrap up really quick um you you started out kind of your passion for food with barbecue I know that's one of your competition categories, but what has been your favorite dish um, at the competition? And do you have a favorite category? You know, that's like asking um, a, a father or a mother which one of their children is their favorite child. Um, you know, I, in, in, in many respects, I love all of the categories, but um, I, I'm, I'm always keeping my eye on three 
or four categories and looking for something that I want to eat. I, I'm usually running around like a, a chicken with its head cut off at the championship. Mm. So I, I rarely get to, to really peruse uh, the arena and, and eat a lot of stuff. But I keep my eye open during the burger competition. Uh, I keep it open during the seafood competition. I am a, a, a nut for scallops. Uh, I, oh, I love man. grilled scallops, blackened scallops. Um, so anytime I see one of those, I can't help but stop and eat. And obviously I love um, sweets and, and barbecue. So um, the dessert category is probably, <laughs> yeah, I, I try to be a, well-rounded guy um just not <laughs> rounded right so yes exactly <laughs> the, the the dessert category probably is my favorite category to see unfold because the variety of dishes and the variety of desserts that always come in during the signature round it's it's just a to z um uh sugar insanity what these chefs and cooks can do uh, with it's amazing yeah with confection and sugar and all these th it's just amazing and and um and i i love chocolate and nuts and any co combination thereof so um i was asked once what would my last what would my last dish be if if i had to choose and i said chocolate cashews just give me chocolate oh, cashews man. just because i could eat, Sweet, eat those all day <laughs> yeah I, I could eat those all day long and I have to ask you, since you love barbecue so much, last thing we're going to cover, who has the best barbecue? Kansas City, Memphis, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia. Like, who's the best, in your opinion? Well, um, oh, Texas. That's, that is a big, <laughs> big question. And uh, I, I have, most of my adult life, I have been a, a major fan of tomato-based barbecue uh, so Kansas, mm. Kansas City barbecue has been what I have um, desired the most. However, um, I love brisket, and I'm start my my maybe my uh, taste palette is changing because I'm starting to really skew toward mustard based mm. um, barbecue, which is more Carolina. Carolina gold. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, I would I'd probably go that route at the moment, uh, but if you Ask me on a different day. I may go back to one of the others. <laughs> you can't it's, discriminate. <laughs> yeah, it's all I mean, good. When, you're, when your palate is teased uh, and pleased as much as mine is, it's, um, it's hard to pick a favorite. And it's hard, hard to always stick to one thing. So uh, I, 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 try to, I try to be an even-playing, um, even-minded uh, taster when it comes to great food. It's good not to be a picky eater. Life's too short. <laughs> That's exactly right. A huge thanks to Mike McLeod for taking the time to speak with us. I really did have a blast chatting with you, and I know I'm definitely looking forward to seeing who takes the grand prize in Indy in May. Thank you to our listeners, as always, for tuning in. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And as always, stay fresh. <laughs>